A quick trigger warning before we get into the conversation. This episode does discuss suicide and self-harm. What's up, Chicago? I'm Erin Allen, and this is The Rundown. So there's this program in Illinois that's supposed to help low-income children who are having a mental health crisis. It's called SAS, the Screening Assessment and Support Services Program. A few of my colleagues here at WBEZ spent over six months investigating SAS, what it's supposed to be doing versus what it's actually doing, and it's not looking too good. Illinois government is not ensuring that thousands of children in mental health crisis get the care they need. WBEZ investigation shows this safety net has far too many holes. Failing to connect thousands of low-income children in acute distress with mental health support. Sarah Karp is an education reporter and Kristen Schorsch is a health and county government reporter. You know, we spent about six months just trying to understand even basic questions of who is this program serving? What are the outcomes? What's happening to these kids, right? Like who's in charge? All these things, demographic questions. We just really wanted to understand how is this program working? Yeah. And it was really hard to get a lot of information about this through the state. Yeah, I I have to say, as an education reporter, I was shocked (laughs) at how hard it was to get good information about this program. And I'll just add, I was not shocked. Yes, I know, (laughs) I know, I know, but I I was. I was like, yeah, Sarah, this this is healthcare. Despite the state of Illinois swerving them at almost every turn, Sarah and Kristen did find that the program is failing thousands of children who were maybe sometimes seen by a behavioral health professional. And if they are seen, there's rarely any follow-up, let alone comprehensive care for young people. I sat down with Kristen and Sarah to talk about what's happened since they did their initial reporting on SAS and how the state has responded. I wanted to know what, if anything, we have to look forward to with all of this. But first, Sarah walked me through what happens that triggers a call when a counselor calls a SAS worker. At a a high school or elementary school, what will usually happen is a a child will come to a a teacher or a counselor or somebody will alert a teacher or counselor that a child's in in trouble. A lot of it is... Um, suicidal ideation, you know, kids saying, I, I feel like I want to kill myself. Um, I feel like I want to get out of this world. Um, you know, really, really very scary things. And one thing that we know is is that during the pandemic, um, there's been a lot more kids that are that are showing up at schools and and in hospital ERs and hospital ERs. Thoughts. Yeah, mm-hmm. just Big really, spike. really sad and really hopeless. Yeah. You know? um, and so the young person comes to the counselor, they say something or exhibit some behavior that seems troubling. The counselor then what? Calls this hotline. Okay. Call the CARES hotline. The hotline does a mini assessment and decides, you know, is this a crisis? And if they decide it is, they pass it along to a community organization, a social service organization that then has SAS workers who are supposed to be out and go and do an assessment of a child within 90 minutes. That's what's supposed to happen. Well, I think Melina is a really good example. You want to talk about Melina? Because this is like a parent who went through this process with her child. So Melina is a mother that I met um, out in the community. And she was telling me how her son school called her one Friday and told her that her son was, was in distress. And she had actually known 
in her heart that there was something going on with her child. I mean, he had, you know, stopped eating as much. He he was a guitar player and he stopped playing his guitar. Mm-hmm. He he wasn't dressing as nicely as he usually liked to dress. So she had some idea that something was going on. But this one Friday, the school called and was like, he's saying that he he wants to kill himself and he's crying and he won't stop crying. He can't stop crying. So they say, however, we'd like to get him an assessment, but the person that would come to do the assessment is going to take hours and hours to come. So why don't you just come get your child and take him straight to a psychiatric hospital? Because that's where he's probably going to end up. Yeah. So they go to the psychiatric hospital and um, there he has to have a SAS assessment too, but it's just a different location. They wind up waiting five hours for someone to give an assessment. She describes the hospital that they sat in as cold and unwelcoming. And by the time the assessment actually happened, she wasn't in the room. But the person who came out said, your child's fine. Take him home. Here's a list of places that you can call to get follow-up help. She went home that night, and she was just describes how scared she was. You know, mm-hmm. she's just like, I don't know if he's going to kill himself. I don't know if he's not. I don't. And 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 she's like, they didn't tell me what to do. Mm. She they didn't tell me anything to do. And you know, oh. he the the child was tired, and she said, okay, you can go to sleep, but you have to leave your door open. And you know, she spent the night like staring at the open door just so worried and you know then she did she eventually was not through the list that was she was given at the hospital but through her own connections in the community she was able to find some counseling for her her son but she worries that it's not as intense as he needs he still goes through bouts of depression She just doesn't know what more she can do for him, but she's just praying. And she says that, you know, he's fighting and we're fighting with him. Mm -hmm. So I talked to a counselor at a Northwest Side school, and she was just telling me about what her experience has been now since the pandemic, like over the last couple of years, and how she's been sort of disappointed in the response of the SAS workers. So the hard part with this is students is in crisis. Maybe they're they're talking about hurting themselves. Maybe they are hurting themselves. And then it's up to the school to monitor and de-escalate the student for the next several hours. So by the time that the clinician comes to school, the crisis is usually over. So you see, this was something that she she's really emphasizing is that, you know, a child might come to you very upset. And then after sitting there for four or five hours, you know, they calm down a little bit, especially they're sitting there with the counselor who's talking them through things. But that doesn't mean that the child doesn't need yeah. support. But what will often happen is by the time the worker gets there and does the assessment, the emotion has has sort of settled, and then the crisis worker will decide this child doesn't need much else, maybe just counseling. But then a month later, two months later, the child will find himself or herself back in the same situation. The counselor will be confronted with this again. So yeah. it becomes a cycle, and 
you know, the idea of this is that this is a crisis. It's not something that can wait four or five hours. Yeah, there's there's that 90 minute <laughs> limit for a reason. Um, one of the counselors you talked to mentioned that there's a difference between having students on Medicaid versus not. I wonder if you could talk about that distinction. Well, SAS is a, is a program that is supposed to be an equalizer of sorts. It was created about 20 years ago. It's mainly for children from low-income families, mm-hmm. and it's meant to get them into treatment quickly. You know, we talk about this 90-minute assessment. After that 90-minute assessment, the SAS provider decides or SAS worker decides, you know, you need inpatient hospitalization or maybe you need outpatient therapy or you need something in between. Um, so that's ideally how it's supposed to work. You know, but we heard stories not only from schools, but, you know, um, we heard stories from hospitals and doctor's offices about kids not only waiting hours. But, for example, I spent time in St. Bernard's ER. This is a hospital in Inglewood on the south side. Um, An ER doctor was telling me that they had the same kid last year show up eight times in mental health crisis and still never got never got a psychiatric bed. Um, St. Bernard doesn't have psychiatric beds for adolescents. And so we heard this time and time again that. This system that is supposed to help the most vulnerable children in a crisis just is is broken of all sorts. Yeah. Um, what what happens in that scenario where they don't end up going through the process? Even even hours go by and a SAS worker never comes, or they say I, I can't come, or you know, what are the other options that a counselor would a school counselor would have in that situation? Well, a lot of times, what happens I've I've heard is that. The staff worker won't come and eventually school is over and the day is gone and the parent will come and take the child and the child will go home. And, you know, there's a lot of risk in that. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a lot of, of, of danger. And if you don't help a child when when the child's traumatized, when the child is feeling helpless or hopeless, what happens to them as they grow older, as they become adults? You know, if the issues aren't dealt with, what is the outcome? And, you know, schools will try to step in and provide some support, but a lot of the counselors and social workers I talked to said that, you know, what, what they can really provide is very, very limited because, you know, they, they have hundreds of kids that they have to work mm-hmm. with. So they might be able to say, okay, I'm going to talk to a child, you know, once a week, or I'm going to check in with a child often. But beyond that, they can't really provide the intensive therapy that a lot of kids need. Yeah. I know that um, a lot of what you've told me that a lot of what counselors can do depends on where their school is located and school funding. Um, Can you talk about how resources factor into this, whether or not um, a a counselor calls SAS? As in everything, if you have more money, you can do more, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, one thing about the president of the L. Illinois Education Association, which is the state's largest teachers union, was was telling me is, you know, he talks to teachers in other parts of the the state. He's been a teacher at um, in Dalton, Illinois, for about thirty years. A high school teacher. Um, the school that he teaches at is you know serves pretty um, lower income students. And what he says is that. He talks to to other people like in Schomburg or other suburbs, and they tell him about the the wealth of resources that they have for kids. You know, several social workers, several counselors. They have agencies that are not so overwhelmed that they can call on and send and send students to. Yeah, I I just want to play you a, a cut of 
what he what he told me about sort of the situation at his school. And what's his name? His name is um, Al Lorenz. He's the president-elect of the IEA, so he's about to take take office. One social worker for every 800 kids. One psychologist for the whole district that travel between the schools. And so, you know, I, I asked myself, how could you handle a caseload of 800? Well, you really can't. You know, it's just like putting up the, the facade that we're doing what we need to do. And there are several thousand kids in that district. Right, right. It's three high. It's a three high school district, and I think each high school has at least 2,000 kids. So that's a big district. And, you know, as he said, you just can't get to every child in that kind of scenario. Yeah, which puts a burden on the other services like SAS <laughs> that are supposed to be filling in the gaps there. Yeah. I, I did want to emphasize that um, I feel like everyone we talk to stressed how important this program is and how essential the SAS workers are, but that they just do not have enough resources um, and that there are few places to send kids. So moral of the story, SAS and mental health in general for young people in Illinois need some help right now. Um, there is some movement in the Illinois Senate to create a task force to look at this program. Um, can you, Kristen, tell me about who's leading that and what's going on with that right now? Yep. So State Senator Kimberly Lightford said that the IEA came to her last year, you know, with a number of concerns of, hey, what do we want to talk about legislating this 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 coming session? And they had mentioned SAS, that SAS wasn't working. Um, these things that Sarah's talking about, that that school counselors and educators are having students wait hours for assessments, sometimes late into the evening, mm-hmm. which mirrors a lot of what Sarah and I found from talking to people all over the state, right? Um, so Senator Lightford wants to create a task force that essentially would be 15 members. Um, it would evaluate the SAS program by county, because as we talk about, I mean, there could be different problems depending on where you live in the state and the kind of resources right. you have. Um, and it would analyze, like, does this program have enough funding? And so right now, um, it's in committee. State lawmakers still have to approve that task force. Uh, Senator Lightford said that, you know, she, she hopes to to get it out of committee at, at some point, right? But that's basically the process is that this task force would allow for a number of public hearings, and we get to hear a lot more about SAS, um, the barriers, the challenges, potential solutions. But we get to hear from a lot of players, which I think Sarah and I and a lot of the advocates that we talk to and everyone across the spectrum who's involved in this program, I think will learn a lot from because we found that there's not a lot of transparency and accountability with SAS. Mm. Okay. So there's there's SAS and there's this initiative for the the task force. And then there's there's another initiative in the governor's office to transform children's behavioral health. Um, who's leading that and what are the goals there? Right. So like the backdrop to our reporting about SAS um, is this fact that the fabric of delivering mental health care and behavioral health care to children across Illinois is very fragmented and very frayed because we're in the middle of a huge workforce shortage and there is very little supply. Um, So there's just really not a lot of places to send children. Mm. So um, Governor Pritzker, I believe it was last year, you know, called for this big transformation of mental health care, behavioral health care for children. And he asked Dr. Dana Weiner, who is a child welfare expert at uh, Chapin Hall at the University of Chicago, to lead this. 
So Dr. Weiner went on a listening tour of sorts. She talked to people across the state. She talked to families. The set of recommendations that Dr. Weiner had just came out recently, and we covered it. And it includes, you know, a huge focus on early intervention, really trying to prevent serious problems from happening down the road. So that involves universal screening about mental health in schools. It involves getting, there are six state agencies that each play a role in a different way in mental health care for kids. They're all in their own silos. It gets them to kind of break down those walls, share data better, collaborate better. Um, It includes things like um, eventually having hospitals, for example, share capacity. How many beds do they have available, a psych bed, for example, at any given point? We don't know that at this point. Mm. But across the pipeline, so to speak, from therapy to inpatient psych, there's just few places to send kids in distress. Yeah. So is SAS mentioned in this um, this work that Dr. Weiner, Weiner is doing? Yeah, so SAS is mentioned um, in terms of in the report talking about how the state needs to strengthen SAS, that it's a really vital part of what Illinois provides in terms of like a mental health uh service for children. Um, But there's also a lot of other things in in the report. And I would say it's mentioned, but it's not one of the big big priorities. Okay. Some of the big priorities we talked about is, you know, early intervention, basically the idea so that you can prevent kids from potentially needing SAS, you know, needing to make that call for a kid who is sitting in your office and is suicidal. Um, Much of the report is talking about, right, that kind of bringing things together, more collaboration, more transparency and early intervention. Okay. Um, So we talked a little bit about Medicaid earlier. Um, As you mentioned, um, Kristen Sass is a publicly funded funded program um, for folks using Medicaid, folks benefiting from Medicaid. But the state often creates contracts with private insurance companies to run Medicaid. Is that right? Yeah. So the state several years ago largely privatized Medicaid. So now um, the bulk of Medicaid recipients are overseen by a private insurance company. So Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Illinois, um, County Care, which Cook County government runs, is one of the private insurance companies. So essentially we have, with SAS, SAS is largely outsourced to these Medicaid insurance companies, and they have billions of dollars in state contracts. How are these companies evaluated by the state since they're outsourced by this publicly funded program. Right. So that was a big question we had um, because we knew we asked for the contracts for these insurance companies with the state. As part of their contracts, um, they're supposed to be providing mobile crisis response, which is essentially another way of saying SAS. Um, We asked for any sort of audits, performance effect, you know, any sort of documents that would talk about the performance and effectiveness of this program. And we didn't get back much. Um, We did get some documents that were extremely redacted to the point where it's very it's not clear Um, when you think about like a report card of sorts an evaluation. Mm -hmm. We didn't really get any of that. Okay, I would say what we did get and just doing our homework and talking to people. We know that several years ago, um, the insurance companies were put under remediation from an outside auditor who said there were big concerns about the way that they were delivering mental health services for kids, including SAS. Mm. Um, We know that there is an audit that the state has that they won't give us through FOIA. They cited an exemption in the state's public records laws. Um, Interesting. Yeah, we know that that this is part of their contract. And so we want to understand 
the outcomes, what's happening to these children. You know, we know just through our own reporting of some of the data we are able to get from the state through FOIA is that um, in the last five years, and you think about that 90-minute assessment the SAS workers are supposed to do quickly, um, we looked at five years of data. And um, in terms of when you think about where these kids were routed, whether it was hospitalization or community stabilization, meaning maybe a therapy appointment, 40% of that data was missing. So like, that's a big example, a big red flag to us wow. of we don't know what's happening to thousands of children. Yeah. Um, and if the private insurance companies are largely in charge of that, why don't we know more? Yeah. yeah. And if you think about the 40%, I mean, over five years, you're talking about 80,000 calls or something like that. So, I mean, this is, we're not talking about like small numbers here, yeah. you know, of kids that we don't know what happened. It's a lot of kids. Yeah. And I will say too, I mean, I think it's not only what's happening to these children, but it's about the quality of these programs. For each of the insurance companies, the quality of how they're running SAS. Um, we asked for those kinds of documents, too, and a lot of it was blacked out. So when you think about one of the big markers that the state said that they follow is after a child is hospitalized for a mental health crisis, is there a follow-up within seven days? Is there a follow-up within 30 days? We asked for those records. We didn't get a lot of them at all. Um, I was going through the reports just preparing for this conversation, and I saw pages with those descriptions on them, and the next page blacked out. That's This is a taxpayer-funded program. This is a public program, and we can't get those documents. To me, it's, it's um, Sarah's like, oh, my gosh, and I'm like, yeah, and this is wrong. Kristen Schorsch is WBEZ's health and county government reporter. Kristen, thank you. Thanks for having me. Sarah Karp is the education reporter here at WBEZ. Sarah, thank you. Thank you. You can go to WBEZ.org and read and listen to their full investigation into Illinois Screening Assessment and Support Services Program, also known as SAS. And that's it for today. Thank you to Justin Bull and Sarah Stark for producing The Rundown and to Ariel Van Clee for editing the show. Haley Bloomquist is the engineer for this episode and our theme music is by Louis Weeks. I'm Erin Allen. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow morning.